Thanks again for being here. Welcome to Bayou City. I want you to pull out your copy of the scripture. I want you to pull out your listening guide, a pencil, a pen, to write some things down so you'll be able to remember them later on. And turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 8 and also to Exodus chapter 24. We're going to start in Hebrews 8, but pretty quickly we're going to read a few passages in Exodus chapter 24. Last fall I came home and my home felt hot. If you're a renter, that just means you're going to make a phone call and somebody else is going to deal with it. But if you are a homeowner, that means thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars because we are all given inalienable rights here in Houston. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and air conditioning. It's too hot to live here without it. I'm not a handyman necessarily, although I do my best impression of one. I thought before I make a phone call to an air conditioning company, maybe I can at least discern what the problem is. So I crawled up in my attic, and my attic felt cooler than my home did. And so I pretty soon realized what had happened. A duct had come loose from the actual air conditioning unit in the attic. And so it was just blowing out a bunch of cold air into the attic. And I mean, I'm not a genius, but I can put back a duct because I have duct tape out in the garage, right? And so I went out to the garage and I got this very roll of duct tape, crawled back up into the attic and started to tape the duct back to the unit, uh, but it wasn't going well. And so I put even more tape on it and it still wasn't going well. So I took all of the tape off of it and started fresh again. And I still couldn't get it to stick. You know, they say this stuff does everything. The one thing it can't do is the thing that it was named for, (laughs) put together ducks. And uh, finally I had to give up and go and get some special glue at Home Depot. And uh, that finally, uh, finally fixed it. Uh, This was not that helpful. If I asked you today, what keeps you and God attached? What is it that binds your relationship together, you and him? I think most of us would give a duct tape answer. I pray, I read the Bible, I try to serve people, I try to be generous to the poor. Uh, Like duct tape, that sounds like it's going to work, but it doesn't actually work. You need something much stronger to bind you and God, to make sure that you are attached. And Hebrews chapter 8 helps us to know what that is. We're going to start reading in verse 6. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. Now, we talked about the old covenant last week. We didn't call it by that name, but we talked about the priests and how the priests served in this old covenant, always offering sacrifices in the temple. But Jesus is a far better priest, just like Jesus leads us into a far better covenant with God. Verse 7, if this first covenant has been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with people, he said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. 
But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. In order for us to understand the new covenant that's replacing the old covenant, I think it would be helpful to know a little bit more about the old covenant and where it came from. And that's where you hopefully still have a finger at Exodus chapter 24. This is the beginning of that old covenant between God and his people, Israel. It says this in 24 verse 1. Then the Lord instructed Moses, come up here to me and bring along Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders. Now God has placed his presence on Mount Sinai. Of course, he's everywhere. There's nowhere that he is not, but he had placed his presence, ground zero on planet earth, his presence on top of Mount Sinai. And now he's inviting Moses up as he normally did. Moses got to go to the top of that mountain consistently. Everyone else had to stay at the bottom, but now Aaron, Moses's brother, and the priests of Israel, and Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the leaders of Israel get to come up with Moses at some point. All of you must worship from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near, and none other than and none of the other people are allowed to climb up the mountain with him. Then Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. And all the people answered with one voice, We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. Then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions. Early the next morning, Moses got up and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He also set up 12 pillars, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent some of the young Israelite men to present burnt offerings and to sacrifice bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses drained half the blood from these animals into basins. The other half he splattered against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood from the basins and spattered it all over the people, declaring, look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. There they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet, there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis lazuli. That was like a rock. As clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain, stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone on which I have inscribed the instructions and commands so you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out and Moses climbed up the mountain of God. This is where the old covenant began. But the author of Hebrews says this old covenant was not sufficient. Moses came down the mountain. He said, this is what God has said. Here's the law. Here's what we were supposed to do. And how did the people respond? They said, we'll do it. Moses read it again. They said, we'll do it. Then he took some of the blood from those sacrifices and he splattered it on the people. A sign that this covenant was being made. Now the... Basic definition of a covenant 
is when two people agree on a contract. But that loses some of the soul of the word covenant. Uh, On Friday, I called my energy provider because my yearly contract is running out and I want a new contract and I want a better one. I want to pay a little bit lower prices. The customer is always right. I've seen that on TV. And so I called them up and we negotiated and we now have a contract. Two people have agreed on it, me and this random person that I talked to. But you compare that with almost 16 years ago, Amanda and I went to a Harris County courthouse annex on Highway 6 and Clay Road, and we got our marriage license, also a contract between her and I and the great state of Texas. But it's more than a contract, a marriage license. There's something deep there. There's something relational there. There's something emotional there. So when we hear the basic definition of a covenant, it's just two people agreeing on a contract. That's true, but it really loses some of its soul. God was initiating a relationship with the people of Israel. He loved them. He cared for them like a husband and wife agreeing on a marriage contract. That's what was happening at the base of Mount Sinai. And the people said, we will obey. But the author of Hebrews says it didn't really work out like that. They didn't keep up their end of the bargain. That's why God, through the prophet Jeremiah, prophesied and then quoted in Hebrews chapter 8. It says, The day is coming, says the Lord, then I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. The people didn't hold up their end of the bargain. They didn't obey, and God would send prophet one right after the other to remind the people, be faithful to God, and they just couldn't do it. So God sent more prophets to remind them, and even saying judgment is coming. If you don't change, judgment is coming. Discipline is coming. God disciplines those he loves and he loves you. And so judgment is coming and they wouldn't listen. And so God turned his back on them and two nations, Babylon from the south and Assyria from the north, destroy Israel. God says, I'm going to bring a new covenant. Verse 10, this new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. And you can see in your listening guide, there are four things that I want you to remember about this new covenant that we have followed Jesus into. He is the mediator of this new covenant. Number one, there's new covenant thinking. There's new covenant thinking, verse 10. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. Back in Exodus chapter 24, when Moses reads out the law, the law was in the ears of the people of God, but it wasn't in their minds. We know this because we see them swing wildly in the Old Testament between belief and unbelief, faithfulness and unfaithfulness. Committed to God one day, radically uncommitted the next day. Even with some of the people listed in Exodus chapter 24, we see, starting with Aaron, Moses' brother, the first high priest of Israel. Here in this scene, Exodus chapter 24, Aaron gets to come up sort of onto the mountain of God and he sees God. And underneath God's feet is something brilliant and blue like no human has ever seen before. Aaron experiences this. But just a few chapters from now, Aaron will be presiding over the worship of a golden calf. 
He's the one who will have organized all of that unfaithfulness to God. Seeing God one day, rejecting God the next day. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, also mentioned in Exodus chapter 24, saw God on that mountain. Not too long from now, Leviticus chapter 9, God will have set up his tinted temple known as the tabernacle. And there were certain processes. And on the dedication, those processes happened. And fire came down from the sky. Nadab and Abihu, probably like us, thought, I'd I'd like to see that again. That was pretty neat. So they went back into the tabernacle, the tented temple. They started all these processes over again. The first time was under the instruction of God. The second time was because they wanted to see a trick. And fire did come down from the sky. Only it didn't hit a sacrifice. It hit them and they died. Seeing God one day, rejecting God and his ways. The next day, the people of Israel as a nation did this. God led them out of Israel with signs and wonders. And yet they are completely tempted by idols throughout their history. One time the prophet Elijah said to them, you have to choose. Make a decision. Either God is God or some other thing is God. And whichever you decide, worship that one. But under the old covenant, we were free to just have the law in our ears and not in our minds. But Jesus has led us into a new covenant. And in a new covenant, my mind can be changed. My mind can be renewed. My mind can be rewired The New Testament says that we've been given the mind of Christ. I can think like Jesus. I don't have to keep on making bad decisions because of new covenant thinking. Second thing in your listening guide, we have new covenant desires. Again, in verse 10, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. In the new covenant, God's ways, his laws, his requirements are written on our hearts. In the old covenant, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31 says that our hearts are deceitful above all else. Our hearts can't be trusted. And we see this in the people of Israel. As I mentioned, God rescued Israel out of slavery in Egypt through miraculous signs and wonders. They could look up on top of the mountain. They could see his presence, thunders and lightnings happening on this mountain. They had his smoke of glory. They had his fire that led them in the evening. But they get out into the wilderness and they realize that the wilderness is really a wilderness. A wilderness is not like a three-star hotel instead of a four-star hotel. It's the wilderness and they get out there and they think we don't have any food. And so what's their response? After seeing all of these signs and wonders that God has done, what is their response? We should go back and be slaves in Egypt. That was their decision. Was we should just go back. We should turn back. Become slaves again because we're afraid we don't have any food out here. So how does God respond? He graciously gives them manna, this miraculous bread that appears every morning right outside their tent. But then they say, we don't want to live on carbs alone. We're gluten free. Everybody knows that bread is bad for you. We need something else and we need meat. And, and God graciously flies birds into their camp every night. And those birds just die right outside their tent every night. 
they have meat to eat. So you would think after the signs and wonders in Egypt, after the lightnings and thunders on Mount Sinai, after the smoke and the pillar of fire and the manna and the quail, that they would say, I'll never doubt God again. I'll never, ever lack trust in him. But they don't. The very next chapter, Exodus chapter 17, they get thirsty and they look around. They say, there's no water. And how do they respond? We should go back and be slaves in Egypt because their view of God was totally shaped by how he responded to their desires in that moment. If they felt like God had not responded to their desires, then God could not be trusted. If they felt like God had responded to their desires, then he could totally be trusted. Again, swinging wildly back and forth between belief and unbelief, totally ruled by their desires in their old covenant. But God says, Jesus is going to lead you into a new covenant. And in the new covenant, our heart doesn't have to be deceitful above all else. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, we are new creations in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. Ephesians chapter 1 says, the eyes of our heart has been enlightened. They've been opened. Our heart used to not be able to see things that were true in the old covenant. But now that Jesus has brought us a better covenant, our hearts can see. It's not just our behavior that has to be conformed to God's will. In the new covenant, even our desires can be conformed to as well. Number three, there's new covenant disciples. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 11, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. So God says in the new covenant, people are going to know me already. So there's not going to be any teaching that needs to be required. And if that's so, I don't know what I'm doing here right now. I don't know how to reconcile what Hebrews chapter 8 says with what Jesus said when he left his disciples. He gave them a mission. I want you to go and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. So what does it mean that people are not going to have to be taught to know God? Well, you remember when Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, I'm going, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm going to send to you a helper. I'm going to send you a counselor, an advocate, someone to come alongside of you, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And that's what happened. Jesus ascended, the Spirit came. And that's why 1 Corinthians says that we who follow Jesus have become the temples of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit lives in us. Well, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, When we receive the Spirit, the Spirit came into our hearts crying out, Abba, Father. Uh, Abba was a word that means something like dad or papa. It's familiar. It's the opposite of just referring to your father as yes, sir, or no, sir. Uh, there was a familiarness there, a love there with the word Abba. So when the Spirit comes into our life, he comes out, comes in teaching us to relate to God as Father, to know God as Father. We don't have to be taught that. That is an innate thing from the Spirit living inside of us, that we want to know God. 
That's why if you've ever been around a new believer, somebody who has recently connected their life to Jesus, they don't have to be told to read the scripture. They can't get enough of the scripture. They don't have to be told to pray. They want to pray. They don't have to be told to invite people to church. They are always inviting people to church. They are always having spiritual conversations. They are on fire. Why? Because they have received the Spirit. The Spirit has come into their heart, crying out, Abba, Father, and they want to know God. So what's that say about some of us who have been around for a while who probably feel more like old covenant disciples? the new covenant disciples who have to be told, who have to be prodded, who have to be warned and encouraged. It means probably there are things in our lives that are suppressing that innate desire from the spirit to know God. I mean, the list could be a mile long. I brought along a few that are relevant to my life. Maybe some of these resonate with you. Things that suppress that natural spirit-given desire to know God. Number one would be unrepentant sin. When God says, this is the path I want you to walk. These are the things I want you to do along that path. And we say, no thanks. I'm going to do my own path. I'm going to do it my own way. Not only are we forfeiting obedience, we're forfeiting the opportunity to know God. Because he has lined that path with the ability to know him. So when we choose our own way, we also are rejecting knowing God. I think that our addiction to easy knowledge also suppresses our spirit-given desire to know God. Everything is easy to know right now. Yesterday, Amanda and I went and saw a movie. It was a historical movie. And when I came home, I wanted to know more about what happened around that. I wanted to read more about it, learn a little bit more about the context. And so I went to Wikipedia. I mean, you know, I wouldn't trust like Wikipedia if somebody was doing surgery on me. But for basic facts, it seems pretty accurate in my book. So I'm on Wikipedia and I now know everything that I possibly could want to know about everything that happened around the movie. And I found out all that in about 15 minutes very easily. If that movie had come out 25 years ago and I wanted to know all these things 25 years ago, it would have been a lot of work. I first would have had to watch the movie, come home, then go back to the library. Would have had to find my library card, number one. Would have had to pay all my fines off, number two. Probably just would have started with a false identity and had a clean slate. (laughs) Then I would have had to ask the librarian for this section and then I would have had to pull off some books, would have had to read those books. Remember the days when we had to read books? Ugh. Then I would have had to return those books to know the same thing that it took me 15 minutes to know yesterday. And there's nothing wrong with that other than information just comes easy to us. So when it's harder, we don't want to do it. I deleted social media off my phone just for a while because I felt like a gerbil. You ever see a gerbil uh, running around in their little cage? They got that little water spigot and they get a little drink and then they keep running and they stop to get a little drink and then they keep running. They get a little drink, they run some more, get a little drink, run some more. They never never just stop and drink deeply. It's just a little hit here, little hit there, little hit, little hit, little hit. I, I feel like that's my life, you know? A little bit of knowledge here, little bit, 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 but knowing God doesn't work like that. Knowing God is slow. Uh, To know God, you have to measure your life in 
months and years and decades and lifetimes. You can't know God through other people's spiritual Instagram feeds. That's just that gerbil. Just give me a hit. Give me another little something. Let me fill my mind for a nanosecond and then move on with what I'm doing next. We're addicted to this easy knowledge. So when we want to know God and it's not as easy as everything else, we can't microwave it. We think, well, I don't have time for this. Uh, My past suppresses the spirit's desire in me to know God. Past success, past failure. Degrading entertainment. Even the worst hypocrite in the room today, which could be me, even the worst of us, know that we can't go from watching the things that we watch, hearing the things that we hear, and immediately pick up our Bibles. Even the worst hypocrite in us wouldn't dare to do that. So maybe instead of throwing the Bible out, maybe we should throw some of our entertainment out. And we always say we're too busy. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I can't read my Bible. I'm too busy. I can't serve at church. I'm too busy. I don't think we're too busy. We're too tired. We're emotionally exhausted. We're doing so many other things that when we think about taking time to engage with the scripture, just don't have it in us. When we think about taking the time to pray, praying 10 minutes, and we know the first seven is going to be really hard, we just think, I just I can't do this. We think about getting out of our familiar rhythms with friends and engaging someone else for the purpose of God's kingdom. We think, I don't, I just need to be around my people right now. I don't have time to, or feel like I have the energy to invite anybody else into my life right now. We're emotionally exhausted and all of those reasons and a million more are suppressing that spirit-given desire that exists in you right now to know God. So we don't need anything new today to know God. It, It already exists in us through the spirit. We just have to figure out how to make that desire flourish in our lives because we have new covenant relationship with God which means we are new covenant disciples and finally there's new covenant forgiveness verse 12 and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins now that's pretty easy to dismiss because that sounds like God something God should say I forgive their wickedness and I'll never again remember their sins but remember in the old covenant for your sins to be forgiven it took a lot of work in fact uh, there were five major offerings that had to happen in that temple for you to be forgiven Uh, and these offerings had to happen all the time this is not just a one-time thing for you and you're good this is every year somebody is offering one of these on your behalf whether you knew it or not Uh, some of these are monthly Some of these are weekly. Some of these are daily sacrifices being offered by you. Some of them that you would initiate. Some of them that a priest would initiate for you. But these things were happening in the temple all the time for your behalf in the old covenant. If you wanted your sins forgiven. But Jesus has led us into the new covenant. Because he's a better sacrifice than those bulls and rams and goats and 
doves and he offered his life one time for all time, for everyone. So in the new covenant, because of Jesus, God forgives our wickedness and it says that he will never remember our sins, which again, sounds like something he should say, but I want you to think about how you have to forgive and I have to forgive. Somebody hurts us and we work through it and we forgive them. Most of the time we just say we forgive them and don't really forgive them, but that's a different sermon for a different time. But we forgive them and it's, it's fine until the next time we see them. And then it just all comes back again. And then we have to forgive them again. And we get past it and, until we see them again. And it all comes back. And, and for some of us, if we've been hurt deeply enough, every time we will see that person or think about that person, we will take that sin that they did against us and we will hold it against them and have to let it go all over again. So when it says that God doesn't remember our sins, what it's saying is when he thinks about you, which is all the time, he's not always bringing up your past. He's not always bringing up your sin and holding it against you. I have to forgive you over and over and over again. So some of you made some dumb decisions when you were 17 years old. When God thinks about you now, he's not thinking about that thing anymore. You are still thinking about it, but he's not thinking about it anymore. He's chosen not to bring it back up. That's new covenant forgiveness. In the old covenant, they've got sacrifices happening all the time to try to cover you. But in the New Testament, God forgives and he lets it go. As I mentioned, those two nations, Babylon and Assyria, they came, they destroyed Israel, just wiped them out. For generations, Israel was ground into the ground. And they really weren't much uh, to speak of. Eventually, people started kind of coming back to the homeland and a little group of people got together and, and they said, you know, the reason this happened to our grandparents is because they didn't hold up their end of the covenant. Uh, in fact, they had forgotten most of what God had said and they just kind of did whatever they wanted. So how are we going to, this is the question they asked, how are we going to make sure that that doesn't happen to us? That will happen to our ancestors. They didn't hold up their end of the bargain. How do we make sure that that doesn't happen to us. This little group said what we need is more duct tape. We need to beef up our end of the covenant. If God says to tithe in the law, we're not just tithing on our money. We're going to tithe even on our garden. Even if you have a little window garden, you've got little spices and mints. We're going to cut those into one tenth and we're going to make sure that God's house gets a tenth of that. They went the furthest mile just got out a bunch of more duct tape. Uh, they eventually became known as the Pharisees, this little group of people. Because their answer to how do we stay attached to God was we do better and we do more, more duct tape. And they had so much duct tape on them that when Jesus came to lead them into the new covenant, they couldn't see him. But by God's grace, we can see him today. And so our response is to just put down the duct tape that we've been holding. Because the answer to how am I attached to God has nothing to do with me. The answer is Jesus is the glue that I need. There's nothing else 